Greetings and welcome to In Tune with VHBC, a podcast about music and worship at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. I'm Marty Watts, Minister of Music at VHBC. In today's episode, I'll share a conversation with Paul Bird and talk about the hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Now let's get in tune. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Those are the first two verses of Psalm 90. Isaac Watts paraphrased that psalm in writing, O God, our help in ages past. We previously looked at another of Isaac Watts's psalm paraphrases, Psalm 23, My shepherd will supply my need. But this paraphrase, O God, our help in ages past, is considered his finest. Isaac Watts was born in 1674 and died in 1748. He was a well-educated, prolific writer and eventually became an independent minister. This particular hymn was written in a time of political turmoil in England because of uncertainty around the succession of the British monarchy and the possibility of renewed religious persecution. The text was originally nine stanzas, but most hymnals reduced that to six. The tune we're accustomed to singing with this text is St. Anne. There's no definitive evidence, but this tune was probably written by William Croft in the early 1700s when he was organist at St. Anne's Church in London. Croft eventually became organist at Westminster Abbey. This tune was originally written for a different psalm paraphrase, but in 1861, the text, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, was paired with this tune, and now it's rarely heard any other way. Our Celebrating Grace hymnal includes 12 other Isaac Watts hymns, My Shepherd Will Supply My Need, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and Joy to the World are among them. Today's episode concludes with the singing of O God, Our Help in Ages Past by the Congregation of Vestavia Hills Baptist Church with Dr. Beth McGinnis at the organ. If you have a hymn to suggest for a future episode of the podcast, feel free to contact me at marty at vhbc.com. I am grateful uh, for the folks who listen to this podcast uh, and the folks who are taking part and sharing in conversation with me. The the podcast would be nothing without either of those things. So thank you for listening. And thanks to uh, Paul Bird, who is joining me today. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Marty. Thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, I know that... um, your work and schedule is uh, a busy one. You and I were talking uh, earlier about um, your day full of calls today, so I appreciate you setting aside this time to, to chat with me. Always a delight to chat with you, Marty. <laughs> well, uh, let's get started by, why don't you tell us a little bit, Paul, what you're involved with at VHBC? Um, 
could be music, can be other things I know that you're involved with? Well, goodness, um, lots. Matter of fact, COVID has really cut down on that, hasn't it? But um, so I have, well, uh, we've been at Vestavia Hills for 18 years. And in that time, I have um, been a part of choir for most of that time, um, sometimes more than others. Um, I have taught Sunday school for almost all of that time. We've taught several different classes, uh, sometimes just me and sometimes Terry and my wife and I together. But right now I'm teaching the college Sunday school class that we've been doing by Zoom. And um, one of the most delightful things I get to do, and that, that hasn't been this year, but um, I get to teach children's choir. And um, thanks so much for Beth for thinking about asking me to do that. I don't know, it must be 10 years ago now. Um, but that really has been a lot of fun for me. Um, not a mu much on my musicianship, but a lot on, I think, the fact that working with the little ones is just a blast. Um, um, and uh, I don't know if there's anything more fun than a room full of three and four-year-olds. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, what else have I done? I've been, um, I've been a deacon. I haven't done that in a few years, um, but, and then I've also had the pleasure of serving on some search committees. One of them, I brought in, I think, the best music minister we've had in a long time. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> I, I have, <laughs> well, I have to say um, a word of thanks to you on uh, behalf of Duncan's parents <laughs> for your work with the children's choirs. Um, at one of our previous podcasts, I had Nicole Hutchison on. And uh, she and I are talking about children's choir as well. And, um, you know, it doesn't, uh, I, I know children absorb uh, and process information in different ways. And I think uh, our son is one who um, may not look like it's uh, soaking in, sinking in in the moment, but then later on, um, some of those things will pop back up and uh, just appreciate your work with them. I have a favorite memory of Duncan one, one week when we didn't know he was getting it. And, uh, the next week, you sent a video of him singing the song we had worked on and didn't know he was paying attention, and he nailed it. Um, yeah. Yeah, little sponge. Yes, yes. And the other thing is um, I have heard that the college Sunday school class has uh, just really um, thrived uh, in, in an interesting way on Zoom uh, during – uh, this whole time where you've had you've had guests come who you know would not have been a part of uh, a Sunday school class like that um, could you talk a little bit about that well we've had <clears throat> I will with one caveat we've had a little hiatus on that since Christmas break yeah but um, especially early on um, when COVID hit we started having members who um, had moved away, be involved again. And we had, um, and, and then friends of friends who wanted to be connected. It was really wonderful. I think that there is a little bit of Zoom weariness shaping in. Yes. Um, so that's, that's cut down a little bit. But um, yeah, it was really fascinating to see the way um, 
the way the college kids needed to connect, and I think we did too. Um, you get you get starved for um, routine and the connections that have been there can um, really sustaining you, don't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, for folks who maybe joined you to the, in that search for community uh, that they that they didn't necessarily know they needed before. Um, absolutely. Um, the other thing, I, actually, um, Melissa Pouncey, who I teach with, and I were talking this morning about um, how she has been talking to a couple of the, the students, and they were talking about how profound um, this growth time is in their life that they realize and look back later. Um, so that's really, I think, neat for us. We get to see uh, these college kids really are at a different place in their faith development. They they really do um, see that they are growing in different ways, and um, and it is fascinating to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, you feel like I know these children, these young people, when as they're becoming adults and doing really interesting and, and life changing things. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for you and Melissa helping to sort of shepherd that group, especially. Uh, through these these days, um, your background in music, uh, maybe starting as a child or uh, into adulthood, tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Well, um, I think I had a hard time in church paying attention, but I never had a hard time paying attention to the music. Matter of fact, we sat um, growing up on the side of the church where I could watch the organist. And um, I always remember being fascinated by what was going on over there. Um, And so she loved to play hymns and she loved to play hymns big. And so, (laughs) um, and so music was always a part of worship and, um, Dad was a Baptist campus minister, so we would go to all these uh, big retreats. And so they always had um, some some big names in the Christian music at the time come and do those things. And so music was a huge part of me, my learning to express, not just um, be interested in what's going on, but also express my faith. And I think then also a a vehicle for my spiritual growth and my spirituality. So um, I got as much out of expressing the nonverbals in music. Um, And, uh, and for want of, um, of a lot of liturgy growing up in church, I did find that silence and that time to um, pray deeply in the music. So that's always been very important to me. Um, and so I, I started um, piano lessons and that kind of thing in, um, in junior high, I think because of that love of music. And uh, we would all sing hymns. There were five kids in my family. I remember road trips. We would sing hymns. And for most part, in harmony, there were one or two of us that didn't carry a tune as well. So, <laughs> um, but uh, and so 
when I had to decide what I was, I felt a real call to ministry early on in high school. And um, I not always assumed that meant music ministry for me. So, um, so I went, I, I did an undergrad grad in, in music, a bachelor of music education. And, um, and that's what took me to seminary. Actually. I thought, I thought I was heading into music ministry. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of my background in music and, um, it remains, I think one of my, I think that, that early life is still who I am today. That's, that's where I feel most of my, my expression in worship is through the, through the avenue of, or the language of music. Um, and maybe even extending into some of my need for more silence in worship as well because I really feel like those two are interrelated. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more um, choral music for me, I think I'm going to say the wrong thing here. Um, I don't know that I ever loved listening to choir as much as I loved participating in choir. And so in college, we went, the first two years, and actually where I met Terry was at Bruton Parker College. It was a little, a little Baptist college in Mount Vernon, Ailey, Georgia. But as tiny as a college was, it had a choir of, oh gosh, I think there was 100, 150 voices in the choir. And, uh, and we would tour every weekend or every other weekend. We'd sing at a church and a big tour in the spring, a um, big choir week. Before, before college started, and um, the power of being a part of a choral program like that and to sing together with others um, is just incredibly, um, there, there's so much worshipful in that, um, and uh, quite a metaphor, isn't it, to sing together and make music together, not all of you perfect voices, um, but it doesn't matter when it blends together. It's, it's just beautiful. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just love that. I, like, I love that experience and uh, being part of an instrument that's bigger than you. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's a, a perfect reflection. Uh, I, yeah, the, the being a part of it uh, is quite different than just listening. Uh, both mm -hmm. meaningful, but for those who do uh, participate actively in choral uh, music making it's just uh just unique and uh just a supreme supreme experience yeah not so much about performing and it's about being a part of that instrument and that experience and that that time yeah mm -hmm. it's beautiful well you mentioned uh going to seminary tell us a little bit about uh that and your um, sort of career path since that time. <laughs> so, um, so I assumed because I loved music and that's where I found meaning um, that music ministry was the place I needed to go and be. Um, I did um, music and youth ministry jobs in college. I think a lot of us did that who go into ministry. 
Um, and, uh, and when I went to seminary, we went early, Terry and I went early to find jobs and, and I got a job as an aide in a psych unit, um, because it paid more. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then working at, at fast food or something. And I really didn't want a church job. And I found out pretty quickly that I loved the one-on-one interaction. Um, and uh, because of that, I um, audited a course before we started taking, taking classes for music. I audited a course with um, Wayne Oates on pastoral care. I forget the name of the class, but it was on pastoral care. And absolutely fell in love. It was like somebody switched on a light that this is where I needed to go. So, um, so from the beginning of seminary, I didn't even take a music class there. I, uh, I switched over and did a degree in pastoral care and counseling. And, um, and I thought I would do um, pastoral care and counseling in a church. And, uh, and then my last semester... <laughs> We had clinical pastoral education for a semester, and I worked in the psych unit as a chaplain, and I think the rest is history. (laughs) I think um, there was something really profound for me, not just in ministering to people who were in my church and like me, but um, who were meeting all of life's challenges, who came from very different backgrounds, some Baptists, some other denominations, some uh, didn't even know what they were thinking or feeling, and their expression may be different. Um, and I could walk alongside with them on that journey. Uh, and uh, I thought from the beginning, wow, this is such a profound honor to meet all kinds of people wherever they are, and they let you be a part of, um, of that journey and that struggle and that crisis point. And, um, and in the middle of all of that together, um, you get to walk with someone in the mystery of wherever God is in that and however God is in that. It is so beautiful. Um, so that, that's kind of, that was kind of my seminary journey. Um, I don't know if that made any sense, but (laughs) reflecting that's how that fell. Um, after seminary, um, I did a residency at Emory in pastoral and in chaplaincy. That was a year-long program, and um, and I didn't I didn't work with um, children at all, um, except for when we were on call. The um, the students and the residents covered the children's hospital there, and um, and I, that really felt vital to me. So when I started looking for a job after residency, I, um, I looked at children's hospitals and found there was a position in, in St. Petersburg, Florida at all children's hospital. And, um, and same thing there. I took that job and I can't imagine being a chaplain in an adult hospital when, um, now, now that I have, uh, sort of worked with Adults who are, um, who are, who are experiencing the illness of a child, but also children who have so much to teach us about um, 
what it's like to go um, through those struggles as a young person. And, um, and we have to lean in and learn their language. And so I think there's something actually analogous to music in that, right? That in music, we lean into a language that is not necessarily words. And for kids, the same thing. They may not be using our words at all. They, they may be expressing themselves in lots of different ways, both developmentally or emotionally. And, um, and so there's an art to listening and to being in that time and space with them. Um, that's really, really beautiful. So I, I just ran a long course of how I got into chaplaincy, but. Um, um, I think it's, yeah, it's a, um, first of all, it sounds like you just absolutely love what you do. And that shows in this conversation, and I'm sure that it shows in the way that you uh, minister to, uh, to all the people that you encounter uh, day to day, but it's also great to hear that story. And I'm sure for you to be able to uh, look back with gratitude on all the sort of twists and turns uh, that, that, that brought you to this, uh, this job that you love so much, this ministry uh, that you clearly just have such a passion for. I, I, it's really a pleasure to talk about. I think sometimes we don't realize some of those connections until we get to share them. So mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to be able to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know folks w- would probably be curious about how your work has or hasn't changed during COVID. Well, and, and um, I feel very, well, I'm, I'm glad to share that, but actually I'm very lucky. Um, COVID has not affected the children at Children's Hospital um, nearly in the way that it's affected adults and adult hospitals. Um, We do have, I mean, clearly we've seen COVID patients, um, but the illness that the, the extent to which we have seen, I have seen children get sick is not nearly what others have. What is it, how it's affected us at Children's is um, there are fewer visitors. Matter of fact, we almost have no visitors, only, um, you know, two adults um, and caregivers are allowed in when we have inpatients. And if you're at a clinic, you only get to have one and then there are no other visitors. And so um, that's a blessing and a curse. Um, early on, um, when, when we were first entering into COVID, um, the effects of COVID, um, everything was kind of shut down. We didn't even do surgeries, um, elective surgeries for, I don't know, a couple of months, but that quickly sped back up. Um, but how that affects patients and families now is that they feel more isolated. They have fewer visitors and, um, Siblings can't come up for children, which is sometimes really difficult. Um, And if they have COVID, then they really are isolated because once a parent goes into the room with them and there can only be one parent then, that parent has to stay. Um, And uh, so they're both sequestered in that room. Um, COVID has affected, I think, the staff as well because, you know, we're always masked. We were talking the other day about um, 
about some of the babies we have who um, they may be, you know, 18 months old, but for nine months of that time now, the people who they've been looking at, they can't see their face. Um, mom and dad, yes, but none of the caregivers. And so you wonder how much children miss out on when they can't see the expressions on people's faces and what, what that must be like for them developmentally. But um, so because of that, uh, because all, I guess all that come, comes to head to say um, COVID hasn't affect, affected um, too many of the patients. It has made us more, um, be more specific about visiting so that people who are feeling more isolated have some connection. Um, I, you mentioned uh, meeting your wife, Terry, at Bruton Parker. Uh, tell us about your family. <laughs> um, yeah, so Terry and I have been married for 30, this is our 34th year. That's hard to believe, but um, we met at Bruton Parker College. Um, all those years ago, and I think we knew each other two days before we were we were a couple. <laughs> um, and uh, and so yeah, we have and we have been together since. It's kind of storybook. I think both of my children, our children, um, roll their eyes whenever we tell that story because that's not been the case for either of them. Um, and we both came from ministerial families, actually. Dad, Terry's father was a minister, a pastor growing up. My dad was a Baptist campus minister. And, um, and we have together two children. They're two adult children. Um, Turner, who is um, 27 now and is doing a master's degree at Old Miss in literature. And Terry and I both love story. We've sort of raised our children reading stories and talking and telling story and, and finding meaning in story. And so it's kind of cool that Turner um, feels so drawn to that. But boy, now he starts talking about story and literature in his way over our head. He's, he's quite brilliant. Um, and Evan, our daughter, too, is graduated from college. She's now, she will be 26 in a couple of weeks. And... Um, a couple months, but um, but she is finding her way, learning to adult, which is a lot of fun, actually, for her and for us as well. So that's us. Um, uh, so mom's still alive, and I have four siblings who, um, actually, Marty, you and I were talking about that. We've been talking um, on Zoom every Sunday now, which we have never done before. So the effects of COVID, I think, have brought our family closer together, which is kind of interesting. Yes, yeah, interesting. That's, that's the case for my family as well. We've been talking on Zoom every week, which we never did before. So um, you're right, the opportunity to connect uh, in, in new ways. Well, every uh, podcast guest, I have uh, offered this question, and I uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say, Paul. The uh, second half of John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I wonder, uh, Paul, for you, what's bringing you life? 
Um, I love that question, number one. Thank you for it. Um, the, the What's Bringing You Life has become very important to me in this time of COVID because we, Terry and I both realized we've been run, run, running. I mean, we may have been over-involved pre-COVID. And um, so there's been a lot more time for us to, um, to think and reflect. Um, Terry told me early on, I started gardening, maybe because we were, we were in the house a lot, just she and I, and I found myself outside a lot, put, put whatever meaning you want for that. <laughs> but so I started, I, I had a garden this year and I started really enjoying being outside and seeing things grow and just having some solitude. So one of the things that has been neat for me is time to connect with me and, and to listen more deeply to kind of what's going on in my heart and spirit, which is kind of cool. Um, our son moved home for a time there and we got some time to do those things with him as well. So um, the, the, the short answer is I've been gardening and I have been cooking more, but I think, um, I think both of those things have been important to me because of the way they have helped me connect. They've helped me to connect for my need to be, to be involved in seeing growth and being connected to myself. They've helped me connect in, in cooking as a relational thing because I've been cooking with my son and been cooking with my wife and, um, and those are kind of fun things. Um, it also has made me um, very aware of how important connection is. And so though there's less um, connection with church um, being there and kind of being busy, it's um, the times of connection, like my Zoom calls with my family, um, like when my son has been home, have been very, very important. Um, I think that that's reflected too on, on how we're connected in the hospital because everybody who gets to visit in a room, that's, that's an important visit, that's, that's significant. Um, and the idea and the importance of presence, not so much what you say, but how you're with another is so important. So I think that has given me life and, and, um, and that reflection has helped me um, kind of reinvest something that that I've known has been true, but um, but I think we see it a little more now. Mm. I mm. Uh, especially appreciate you talking about how uh, gardening has been a part of uh, what's bringing you life in particular, because um, everything I've ever tried to to grow in a garden has not survived. So uh, I'm. <laughs> envious <laughs> of people who can do that because I I uh, have zero skills in that area. The story of the year, Marty, is that we planted a lot of stuff. I A lot, gosh, 10, maybe 10 things. Um, the okra did okay, and one of my tomato plants did well, but we had, um, we had butternut squash, which took over our garden. <laughs> 
and uh, just kept get kept producing, and it is the only thing we didn't plant. Um, it, it volunteered from our compost pile, and uh, and it, it was most of our garden. So there's some surprises yet to be had. <laughs> well. Um... I've never had anything volunteer. I'll say that that as well. <laughs> well, Paul, I have just so appreciated this conversation today. I, I thank you for uh, sharing about your life and uh, some of the things that have been going on and part of your, your journey. So thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity and, um, and have a wonderful day. I appreciate it. Take care. Subscribing to this podcast makes it easy to find new episodes. Today's episode concludes with the singing of O God, Our Help in Ages Past.